The Secret Garden of the Soul, Part 3, The Tree of Life and the Ten Sephiroth. The tree has been a key symbol in the life of humanity from the earliest times. Indeed, the reverence in which the tree is held is evident in every culture and civilization that has kept records. To the ancient Egyptians, the Tree of Life was a colossal tree that served as a central axis of the cosmos on the summit of which perched the phoenix, the symbol of immortality. The sycamore tree was often used as a representation of the tree of life, from within which the goddess Nut dispensed the drink of immortality and the fruit that imparted the knowledge of good and evil, thus enabling the discriminating soul to reach the fields of Amentet. According to Scandinavian mythology, the ash tree Yggdrasil is the world tree that holds together heaven, earth, and the underworld. Nine worlds are believed to be contained within it. At its roots is a fountain of sacred water that has the power of purification and regeneration. It has three main roots. Beneath the first is to be found the realm of the frost giants, beneath the second the realm of man, and beneath the third the realm of hell. One description speaks of a great cockerel glittering like gold standing upon its highest branch. Another says that perched upon its highest branch is a great eagle, between whose eyes sits a hawk. Among Hindus, the tree is generally considered to be a symbol of universal life and immortality. However, to those living the spiritual life, it is a manifestation of the god Brahma, with the rest of the gods forming its branches. It is thought to grow in Brahma's world, in the midst of the lake Ara, from which the waters of eternal youth are drawn. It has many names, but as the Soma tree, the world tree furnishes the divine ambrosia or essence of immortality. The Svatha tree, the sacred tree of Buddhism, imparts wisdom and produces the divine ambrosia, the food of immortality. And furthermore, provides a dwelling for the soul of the blessed. Under the Asvata tree, the Buddha sat until he attained enlightenment and received the knowledge of the sources of mortal suffering. The world tree of the ancient Iranians, the Ahoma, produces the primal drink of immortality, after which it is named. It is the first of all trees planted in heaven in the fountain of life. It is protected by ten fish who keep a ceaseless watch upon a lizard or dragon sent by the evil Ahriman to destroy the sacred tree. The Judeo-Christian scriptures describe the original home of humanity as a garden of delight, placed eastward in Eden. It is written that in the midst of the garden are to be found two trees. One is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the other the tree of life. Of the former it is written that in eating its fruit, Adam and Eve defied God's will and were consequently driven out of paradise into a life of mortality and suffering. Whereas it is said of the tree of life that whosoever eats of its fruit gains immortality. It is no surprise then that one of the principal conceptions of capitalistic thought is the tree of life as a macro and microcosmic model of creation. One of the earliest published diagrams of the capitalistic tree of life appeared in 1516 on the title page of Porte Lucius, a Latin translation of a Kabbalistic work 
written by Rabbi Joseph Gikatila. It is now available in English under the title Gates of Light. However, it is the diagram of Athanasius Kircher, first published in his magnum opus, Oedipus Egypticus, printed in the 17th century, that is most familiar to non-Jewish Kabbalists. There are many variations of the layout of the Tree of Life, the majority of which conform to an arrangement of ten spheres or sephiroth, and twenty-two paths connecting them, the earliest description of which occurs in the Sefer Yetzira, a text once attributed to the patriarch Abraham, but now understood to be the work of Simeon ben Yochai, the great Jewish sage who lived in Palestine in the second century. It describes a metaphysical system that lies at the heart of a prophetic science of the stars and is probably deeply rooted in the astral religions of ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia. The following from the Sefer Yetzirah by Wynne Westcott is often used as a basis for the Tree of Life, and I quote, In thirty-two mysterious paths of wisdom did Yah, the Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, the living Elohim, the King of Ages, the merciful and gracious God, the exalted one, the dweller in eternity, most high and holy, engrave his name by the three seraphim, numbers, letters and sounds. Ten are the ineffable sephiroth, twenty-two are the letters, the foundation of all things. There are three mothers, seven double and twelve simple letters. The ineffable sephiroth are ten, as are the numbers as there are in man five fingers over against five, so over them is established a covenant of strength, by word of mouth and by the circumcision of the flesh. Ten is the number of the ineffable Sephiroth, ten and not nine, ten and not eleven. Understand this wisdom and be wise by the perception. Search out concerning it, restore the word to its creator and replace him who formed it upon his throne. The ten ineffable Sephiroth have ten vast regions bound unto them, boundless in origin and having no ending, an abyss of good and of ill, measureless height and depth, boundless to the east and west, boundless to the north and south, and the Lord and only God, the faithful King, ruler of all these from his holy seat for ever and ever. End quote. If the Sephiroth were first referred to in the Sefer Yetzirah, it was in the Sefer HaBehur that demonstrated their preeminence. Indeed, much of the terminology used in the Behur is now part of the mainstream vocabulary of Kabbalah. In the teachings of Rabbi Isaac the Blind, we find for the first time the Kabbalistic system of the Ten Sephiroth being used in the manner adopted by subsequent Kabbalists. Rabbi Isaac taught that the Sephiroth are expressions of divine will, which preceded the physical heaven and the physical earth, a point few Kabbalists grasp today. Gershom Sholem wrote in Major Trends in Jewish Mysticism, and I quote, The ten Sephiroth constitute the mystic tree of God, or tree of divine power, each representing a branch whose common root is unknown and unknowable. But en sof, is not only the hidden root of all roots, it is also the sap of the tree. Every branch representing an attribute exists not only by itself, but by virtue of Ensof, the hidden God. 
and this tree of God is also, as it were, the skeleton of the universe. It grows throughout the whole of creation and spreads its branches through all its ramifications. All mundane and created things exist only because something of the power of the Sephiroth lives and acts in them. End quote. Sholem articulates beautifully a fundamental principle of Kabbalistic teaching, which is that the entire creation and all things within it, including man, were constructed on the pattern of the Sephiroth. They are the divine archetypes of existence, in which it is understood that the designs for all the worlds were sketched, and which serve as patterns for creation. It follows, then, that the appropriate contemplation of creation will reveal the divine archetypes reflected therein, and it is taught, in some circles, that when the soul is purified, the locked gates of the world of emanation will open, allowing the soul to enter. As cosmological symbols, the Sephiroth express ten extremes, or polarities, in a three-dimensional world. Up, down, east, west, north, south, space. Beginning and end, time. Good and evil, the moral dimension. However, from a theological perspective, they are channels, vehicles, or vessels through which the will of the hidden Godhead, the divine Ensof, is made manifest an invisible superstructure upon which the entire creation hangs. Most Kabbalists do not regard the Sephiroth as existing outside the realm of the Godhead, that is to say, as spiritual intermediaries between God and man, and in this sense they are fundamentally distinct from the Neoplatonic conception of the hypostases, which are perceived as being hierarchical stages between the infinite and the finite between the one and the many. The Sephiroth, on the other hand, are spiritual forces of equal status and value existing in the Godhead. They themselves cannot be known, but the influence that flows from them reflects the life of the Godhead into the whole of creation. Therefore, they must be understood as spiritual forces governing and directing the cosmos and reflected in man as attributes of the soul. The Sephiroth are perceived as emanating from Ensof in succession, like one candle being lit from another, yet without detracting anything from their source or from each other in any way. The first of the Sephiroth is Keter. To the Kabbalist, Keter is to all intents and purposes synonymous with Ensof, except in this distinction. It is the first point of positive existence, a term that signifies the first germ of the created process emerging out of the Godhead. Conceptually, it is as a seed, in which the entire plan of creation resides, and from which creation emerges, and upon which creation depends. However, because it is pre-creation, Kether is unknowable to all created beings, including humanity. Nothing can be attributed to it that can be described in terms of duality. It is the essence of unity and all that such implies. Nevertheless, Kabbalists have attributed to Kepha certain sublime and ineffable qualities and have ascribed to it many names or titles that embody such qualities in different ways. One is Kepha Ilion, the crown, or it is understood that Kepha is as a crown to the divine archetypal man 
Adam Kedmon. Another is Iyaye, which translates as I am that I am, the self-existent and self-begotten source of all that is and all that ever will be. The inscrutable height is another title that defines Kether's inaccessibility to the human mind. The term Macroposopus, the great countenance, describes Kether as the revealed aspect of the hidden Godhead, about which the Zohar has much to say. The title Whitehead alludes to the brilliance of Kether as the head of the Macroposopus. Other titles one may come across are Ancient of Ancients, Concealed of the Concealed, Ancient of Days, The Primordial Point, and The Ancient One. There are many more titles used by different schools to describe the sublime nature of Kether. But if there is one thing that most Kabbalists attribute to Kether, it is the will, the will of the Godhead embodied in the first point of positive existence. The second Sephira is Hokmah, a word that translates as wisdom. It represents the first dynamic act in the process of creation, emanating out of Kether. It signifies the advancement of the will of God and contains within itself the essence of the succeeding Sephiroth and the plan or blueprint of creation. It is the masculine power of the divine, the father of all that will be. To it is attributed the letter Yod, the first letter of the Tetragrammaton. Out of Hochmah emanates Bina, the third Sapphira, which translates as intelligence or understanding. It is the second dynamic act of the Godhead and corresponds to the concept of a builder who receives the blueprint and gives form to the design thereon. It is the feminine power of the divine, the mother of all that will be. To it is attributed He, the second letter of the Tetragrammaton. The aforementioned Sephiroth are known as the Three Supernals. They represent a progression from will to the inception and formation of the ideal. These Sephiroth cannot be realized, even with specialized training in meditation techniques, for they transcend all activity of human consciousness. They constitute the wellspring of creation and are separated from the lower Sephiroth by a great abyss on one side of which is unity and the ideal, and on the other, diversity and the substantial. Thus symbolism is generally employed in Kabbalah to express the nature of the profound realities involved. What is more, the symbolism employed is frequently basic and necessarily universal. Thus Hokmah, the supernal father, sows his seed in the womb of Bina, the supernal mother who gives birth to the succeeding Sephiroth, the basic principles of creation. Another description portrays Hokmah as Spiritus Primus and Bina as Materia Prima. The combination of one with the other producing the living universe that we inhabit. Another emblematic representation describes Bina as the root of a tree nourished by the waters of Hokmah. The tree has seven branches, or sephiroth, that form the basis of creation. What must be borne in mind with such symbolism is that the sephirothic realm is a spiritual realm far beyond the comprehension of this world. Therefore, metaphor and allegory are not only useful 
but essential tools for describing such spiritual realities. That the Sephiroth are real to the Kabbalist is undeniable, but they are real within the Godhead and must not be confounded with material things. Thus what is described as a relationship between Hokmah and Bina is an internal chemistry of the one thing, out of which emerges the multitude of the many. And to the Kabbalist the many are the next seven Sephiroth, and everything arising from them. Furthermore, each Sephira has a positive or masculine potency to the Sephira following it, and a negative or feminine potency to the Sephira preceding it. This means that with the exception of Keta and Malkuth, all of the Sephiroth have a dual nature in relationship to each other. Consequently, the symbolism involved is often extremely complex and not all that it seems. Emanating from Bina is the fourth Sephira, Hazed, which means love or mercy. It is the first of six Sephiroth that constitute the lesser countenance, or the microposopus. As such, it is associated with the first development of three-dimensional existence and the transformation of archetypal forms into material expression. Thus it is written, Hazad shall build up forever. Now one of the main attributions of Hazad is love, and it is by love and through love that creation is built. For the motives and intentions of God are beautiful, noble and sane. Therefore, the universe was created by God as an act of love. In human terms, Hazade corresponds with kindness and compassion. Another name for Hazade is Gedula, which translates as greatness or magnificence. To it are attributed the divine names El, the Mighty One, and the element of water. Emanating from Hazade is Gebura, the fifth Sephira. Kibura means strength or severity, whereas Hazed demonstrates the boundless outpouring of God's love, Kibura represents the control and regulation of that outpouring. In much the same manner that Hochman and Bina balance each other, so do Kibura and Hazed, of whom it is said too much mercy is weakness and too much severity is cruelty and the ebbing away of the will. Another name for Kibura is Din, which means justice. Thus, Gebura is a Sephira of justice, controlling and regulating the forces of the lower seven Sephiroth. In human terms, it corresponds to discrimination. To Gebura are attributed the divine names Elohim Gibor, the sphere of Mars, and the element of fire. The sixth Sephira is Tifereth, which means beauty or mildness. It is the centre of the entire tree, and attributed to it is the letter Vau, the third letter of the Tetragrammaton, and the title Zaire and Pin, the lesser countenance. Tifereth is a lower reflection of Keta, manifest through Hochmer and Bina, and whose body consists of the Sephiroth Hazed, Gebura, Tifereth, Netzach, Od, and Yezod. These six Sephiroth form two triads, an upper and a lower. In the upper triad, Tifereth unites the forces of Hazed and Gebura, love and strength, balancing and harmonizing them to establish a perfect equilibrium throughout the entire tree. Tifereth is the Logos, which mediates between the upper and lower worlds of the Sephirotic realm. 
Within it is to be found the archetypal forms that constitute the unseen superstructure of our universe. It is the sum of all goodness revealed in the form of the perfect ideal, Adam Cadmon, who gives life and sustenance to all creatures in every world. He is the king and Malkuth is his queen. To Tifereth are attributed the divine names Eloah Vadat and the archangel Raphael and the sphere of the sun. The lower triad of the lesser countenance consists of Netzach, Hod and Yezod. The name Netzach means victory or endurance. Hod means splendor or glory and Yezod means foundation. Together, Netzach and Hod form, as it were, the two arms of God. They constitute the base of the pillars of mercy and severity, channeling the influx of the creative powers of all that is above. The Zohar says of them, all the energies, forces and increase to the universe proceed through them. The combined output of Netzach and Hod unite in one harmonious vessel, Yezod, the foundation and basis of all generation. To Netzach are attributed the divine names of Jehovah to Saviath, the Lord of Hosts, the Archangel Haniel and the Sphere of Venus. To Hod are attributed the divine names of Elohim Saviath, the God of Hosts, the Archangel Michael and the Sphere of Mercury. To Yezod are attributed the divine names of Shaddai Helhai, the mighty living God, the Archangel Gabriel, and the sphere of the moon. This triad represents the material world in all its diversity, but it is not as yet manifest in the physical forms that are so apparent to our senses. It consists rather of a subtle energy that forms the matrix to which all things in the physical world conform and take their shape. The final sephira is Malkut, the kingdom. Emanating from Yezod, it is the final outcome, the last stage of creation. It is the sum total of the creative activity of the preceding Sephiroth and represents the establishment of the kingdom of God. To it is attributed He, the last letter of the Tetragrammaton. As the final Sephira, Malkuth is naturally feminine and receptive, receiving the influx of the energies of all the preceding Sephiroth. Thus Malkuth is represented in the scriptures by symbols of the feminine principle of Bina, such as the matriarchs of the Pentateuch, especially Rachel and Leah, the wives of Jacob, who represents a masculine principle of Tifereth. Malkuth is also represented by Bathsheba, whose name in Hebrew means daughter of seven, that is, of the lower seven Sephiroth. On the other hand, Although Malkuth is feminine in relationship to the other Sephiroth, it is also masculine in relationship to the world beneath itself, our world being one of these worlds. Thus Malkuth is also represented by King David, and the union of King David and Bathsheba represents the union of the positive and negative principles of Malkuth, the symbolism of which alchemists have speculated on a great deal. However, we must avoid thinking that Malkuth is the material world of the senses, for such thinking is fundamentally wrong. The Sephirotic world is not the creation, but the spiritual basis of creation, and the Sephiroth are the divine archetypes that serve as patterns for the entire cosmos. 
Thus Malkuth is the pattern for this world in which we have so much of our existence. Malkuth is known to the Kabbalists as the bride of the Microposopus, Queen Matrona, Inferior Mother, and the Shekinah in exile. Attributed to Malkuth are the divine names Adonai Haretz, the Archangel Sandalphon, and the Sphere of the Elements. Here we must draw our discussion about Kabbalah to a close. However, we will resume our discussion in part four of The Secret Garden of the Soul very soon. Thank you.